it's time to close up. Thanks for Welcome listening to First Incision. The podcast if you have any about comments or feedback, the general send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at firstincision. Let's get started with our team timeout. Our patient today is the surgical oncology module from the general surgical curriculum. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today. So I'd really appreciate if you have any thoughts or feedback about this episode, please reach out to me on Instagram or on Twitter or send me an email. Um, Because if this is something that you guys find useful, I can do a lot more of these sorts of episodes for you as well. So my plan today is I'm going to go over some of the more common genetic conditions that we need to know for the general surgical exam. But I'm going to do this in more of a question answer format because I found that in the lead up to the exam, it was really hard to figure out where the gaps were in my knowledge in terms of what had actually stuck and what I could recall and what I couldn't and trying to bring that to the front of my mind so that it was ready for me to have in the exam was really what the last few months leading up to the exam um, was focused on, at least for me. So the idea is that I'll ask a question and I'll have a pause so you can try and recall what you think the answer is and then I'll give you the answer and in this way hopefully you'll be able to recognize what you need to work on as well as potentially learn something because you'll pay more attention to the things you can't recall. Anyway as I said we'll try it out and if you find it useful let me know and if you think of any other types of episodes you think would be useful also please let me know because I've got lots of extra time now that I'm post exams. So let's start off with MEN1 syndrome. So what is the gene mutation for MEN1 syndrome? It's the Menon gene. And which chromosome is this gene located on? It's chromosome 11. And I always used to remember this as it's MEN1. So it's two ones, which is 11. I don't know if that helps you at all, but that's how I remembered it. Do you know what sort of gene the Menon gene is, whether it's a tumor suppressor gene or a proto-oncogene? It's a tumor suppressor gene. And what is the inheritance pattern for MEN1 syndrome? It's autosomally dominantly inherited, as most of them are, so it's probably easier to remember which ones are not autosomally dominant rather than those that are. So what are the associated malignant conditions with MEN1 syndrome? So I remember this as the three Ps. So it's parathyroid hyperplasia, and there's a 90 to 100% penetrance for this. Pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors, 60 to 80% of patients will get this. And pituitary adenomas, and this has about a 50% penetrance. And what other tumors are associated with MEN1 syndrome?
So MEN1 does have some other tumours that are associated with it. And we remembered this with the mnemonic FAC. So F is for foregut carcinoids, and this includes in the thymus and the bronchus. A for adrenocortical tumours, which are usually benign and non-functional. And C for cutaneous manifestations. And this includes lipomas, angiofibromas, and lyomyomas. So our next one is MEN2A. So what is the gene that's mutated in MEN2A syndrome? It's the RET gene. And which chromosome is the RET gene located on? Chromosome 10. And do you know what sort of gene this is, whether it's a tumor suppressor or a proto-oncogene? It's the RET proto-oncogene. And what is the inheritance pattern for this mutation? I'm sure you've got this one. It's autosomally dominantly inherited. And so what are the associated conditions with MEN2A syndrome? So MEN2A is associated with medullary thyroid cancer, primary hyperparathyroidism, which is usually parathyroid hyperplasia, and pheochromocytomas. The medullary thyroid cancers usually occur in the second to third decade of life and are often bilateral and multicentric. About 40 to 50% of MEN2A patients will get primary hyperparathyroidism, and about 50% of patients will get a pheochromocytoma. And let's finish off the MEN syndromes with MEN2B. So what is the gene that's mutated in MEN2B? So it's the same as 2A. It's the RET proto-oncogene. And the inheritance pattern... Yep, I'm sure you got that. It's autosomally dominantly inherited. And so what are the associated conditions with MEN2B syndrome? So it is the same as 2A in that they do get medullary thyroid cancer, but they often get a much earlier and more aggressive subtype. And they also get pheochromocytomas, but they do not get primary hyperparathyroidism. Instead, they get some other conditions, and this includes mucosal neuromas. And it's worth looking up a picture of these because they can definitely show that to you in a spot question. They also get intestinal ganglioneuromas, may have a marfanoid habitus, 
And interestingly, the MEN2B RET mutation is associated with Hirschsprung's disease. Moving on now to Cowden's syndrome. Do you know which gene is mutated in Cowden's syndrome? It's the P10 gene, P-T-E-N. And do you know which chromosome this gene is located on? I'll give you a clue. It's called the P10 gene. And it's located on chromosome 10. What is the inheritance pattern for Cowden syndrome? Autosomally dominantly inherited. What are the associated conditions, benign and malignant, found in a patient with Cowden's syndrome? So in terms of malignancy, patients have a increased risk of breast cancer, up to 50% of patients will have this, uterine cancer, up to 30% of patients, renal cell carcinoma, up to 30%, and 10% incidence of colorectal cancer. In terms of benign conditions, they get hematomatous tumors, facial papules, and trichomomas. And I definitely have a look at those hematomatous tumours and trichomomas because they could definitely do a spot question with those as well. The next genetic syndrome we're going to talk about is Peirce-Jagers syndrome. So what is the gene that's mutated in Peirce-Jagers syndrome? It's the S. TK11 gene. And which chromosome is this located on? Chromosome 19. And what is the inheritance pattern of Peirce-Jagers syndrome? It's autosomally dominantly inherited. And what are the conditions that are associated with Peirce-Jagers syndrome, both benign and malignant? So in terms of benign conditions, patients get hamartomatous polyps in the gastrointestinal tract, and usually their first presentation with Peirce-Jagers is with an intersusception due to a small bowel hamartomatous polyp. And they also get mucocutaneous pigmentation, which is sort of freckling on the lips and in the mouth. In terms of malignancy, the way I remember it is that they get all of the male and female specific organs affected, so Women get cervical, ovarian, endometrial, and breast cancer, and men get testicular and prostate cancer. And then they also get pancreatic cancers, which is 
obviously a very bad one, as well as GI tumours, so stomach, small bowel and colon cancers. So the next one to talk about is neurofibromatosis type 1. And I got asked about this in my short cases in my exam. So what gene is affected in neurofibromatosis type 1? This one's easy. It's the NF1 gene. And which chromosome is the NF1 gene located? It's chromosome 17. And what is the inheritance pattern for NF1? You guessed it, it is autosomally dominantly inherited. Interestingly, they asked me what the gene, the NF1 gene actually does, and it codes a protein called neurofibromin. What are the associated conditions, both benign and malignant, that are associated with neurofibromatosis type 1. So neurofibromatosis type 1 is associated with a wide range of presentations. So in terms of benign presentations, they get cafe au lait macules, which are flat, hyperpigmented macules, and they get increasing number of these with age. They also commonly have axillary freckling and leash nodules, L-I-S-C-H, which are hamartomas in the iris and don't affect vision. In addition to this, they get a number of tumours. This includes gliomas and neurofibromas, which can be cutaneous or plexiform. I definitely suggest looking up a photo of plexiform neurofibromas. And they also have an increased risk of malignant transformation of neurofibromas, development of peripheral nerve sheath tumours, which are a type of sarcoma, increased risk of GIST tumours, as well as rhabdomyosarcomas and glomus tumours, which are vascular tumours of the blood vessels in the dermis. And they showed us a photo of one under the nail in a patient and asked us what it was. There is a diagnostic criteria for screening for NF1, and they have to have two or more of the following. So more than six cafe au lait macules, more than five millimetres in diameter if they're pre-pubertal, or more than 15 millimetres in diameter in post-pubertal patients. 
more than two neurofibromas of any type or one plexiform neurofibroma, freckling in the axillary inguinal regions, optic gliomas, more than two leash nodules, or distinctive bony lesions. So these patients also get sphenoid dysplasia or thickening of the long bone cortex. Or patients can also get a point if they have a first-degree relative with NF1. So the next one to talk about is NF2. What is the gene that's mutated in neurofibromatosis type 2? This one's also easy. It's the NF2 gene. And what is the inheritance pattern of this mutation? It's also autosomally dominantly inherited. I'm just going to briefly mention this one because they did ask me what's the difference between NF1 and NF2 in my exam. And essentially, NF2 mostly affects the central nervous system. So what are the sorts of associated conditions patients with NF2 can experience? So patients with NF2 are commonly affected by vestibular schwannomas, also known as acoustic neuromas, which can cause hearing loss. They also develop schwannomas in central and peripheral nerves, meningiomas in the brain, and gliomas of the brain or spinal cord. They also can develop cutaneous lesions and cutaneous neurofibromas, but these are much less common. Let's move on now to talk about BRCA1. What is the gene that is mutated in BRCA1? Yep, it's the BRCA1 gene. Do you know what sort of gene the BRCA1 gene is? It's a tumor suppressor gene, so it's responsible for DNA repair. What is the inheritance pattern for BRCA1 mutations? Correct, it is an autosomally dominantly inherited condition. And which chromosome is the BRCA1 gene located on? Chromosome 17. And what are the associated malignancies with a BRCA1 gene mutation?
So the BRCA1 gene is associated with an increased risk of breast cancer, with up to 80% of patients with a BRCA1 gene developing a breast cancer over their lifetime. And for these patients, it's more likely to be triple negative, medullary subtype, and have onset at an earlier age or be bilateral. Patients also have an increased risk of ovarian cancer, with about 40% of BRCA1 patients developing ovarian cancer by age 70. And in addition, there's an increased risk of fallopian tube cancer, endometrial cancer, and in men, an increased risk of prostate cancer. So next we'll talk about BRCA2. What gene is mutated in a BRCA2 mutation? The BRCA2 gene. And what is the inheritance pattern of this mutation? As all of them, it's autosomally dominantly inherited. What chromosome is the BRCA2 gene located on? It's chromosome 13, and I just remember this as BRCA2 is bad luck, so it's chromosome 13. And what sort of gene is the BRCA2 gene? So it's the same as BRCA1, it's a tumour suppressor gene. What associated cancers are patients with a BRCA2 gene at increased risk of? So patients with a BRCA2 mutation are at increased risk of breast cancer and up to 70% of patients will develop breast cancer. In contrary to BRCA1, these are more likely to be hormone positive and also there's higher rates of male breast cancer with this mutation. Patients also have an increased risk of ovarian cancer. It's not quite as high as BRCA1, but there's about a 20% incidence, as well as increased risk of fallopian tube, endometrial cancers and prostate cancer in men, as well as an increased risk of pancreatic cancer. Moving on now to hereditary diffuse gastric cancer. What gene is mutated in hereditary diffuse gastric cancer? It's the CDH1 gene. And which chromosome is the CDH1 gene located on? Chromosome 16. And what is the inheritance pattern of this gene mutation? It's autosomally dominantly inherited. And what protein does the CDH1 gene encode? This is important for thinking about the types of cancer that these patients get. 
So it's the E-cadherin protein, which is an adhesion molecule that makes cells stick together. And so what types of malignancies are these patients at increased risk of? So patients with the CDH1 gene mutation are at increased risk of gastric cancer and they get diffuse gastric cancer, often with a signet ring morphology. And they also have an increased risk of lobular breast cancer, which is, as we all know from our breast cancer episodes, a type of tumour that lacks the E-cadherin gene. And 70% of patients with hereditary diffuse gastric cancer will develop a gastric cancer by the age of 80. So let's talk about Lynch syndrome. What is the gene that is mutated in Lynch syndrome? That was a little bit of a trick question because there's four potential genes that may be mutated. And so this is germline mutations in the mismatch repair genes. And this includes MLH1, MSH2, MSH6, and PMS2. And which chromosomes are these genes located on? So they're located on chromosomes 2P or 3P. What is the inheritance pattern of Lynch syndrome? It is autosomally dominantly inherited. And what conditions or cancers are patients with Lynch syndrome at increased risk of developing? So I remembered this with the mnemonic Cougars, C-O-U-G-A-R-S. So C is for colorectal cancer. There's about a 70% risk of developing a colorectal cancer. O is for ovarian, and there's a 4 to 20% risk. U is for uterine or endometrial, and there's quite a high risk of endometrial cancer, so 50% of patients, depending on the genes affected. G is for gastric R is for renal, but really it's the urothelial cancers that they're at risk of, and there are high rates of that. S is for small bowel or skin. The other thing they love to ask is if a patient does get a colorectal cancer and they have Lynch syndrome, 
what specific phenotype are they likely to develop? So they're likely to get a phenotype that I remember by the mnemonic LAMPS. So L is for lymphocytes or tumor infiltrating lymphocytes in the tumor. A stands for associated extracolonic cancers, which is just those other cancers that we've talked about that they may also develop. M is for mucinous, metachronous, and medullary growth pattern. P is for proximal colon, so more likely to be right colon and poorly differentiated. And S is for signet ring and synchronous tumors. So our next one is FAP. What is the gene that's mutated in familial adenomatous polyposis syndrome? It's the APC gene. And what sort of gene is the APC gene? It's a tumor suppressor gene. Which chromosome is the APC gene located on? The APC gene is located on chromosome 5Q. And what is the inheritance pattern of FAP? It is autosomally dominantly inherited. And so what conditions, both benign and malignant, can patients with FAP develop? So in terms of benign conditions, patients develop CHIRPY, which is congenital hypertrophy of the retinal pigmented epithelium, which you have to look at with an ophthalmoscope to identify. They also get osteomas, which are benign tumors often in the skull, mandible, and tibia. They also get about a 10 to 15% incidence of desmoid tumors, which are 
aggressive fibromatoses, and they also commonly develop lipomas and dermoid tumors of the skin. In terms of malignancy, they are at increased risk of colorectal cancer, as you can expect, because they develop hundreds to thousands of adenomatous polyps. They also have an increased risk of gastric, duodenal, and periampullary cancers, and they commonly develop duodenal polyps, which we stage as per the Spiegelman staging system, which guides what sort of intervention and follow-up they need. They also have increased risk of small bowel tumours, liver tumours such as hepatoblastomas, especially in young boys, extrahepatic biliary tree tumours, adrenal tumours which are often benign and non-functional, papillary thyroid cancer and brain tumours such as astrocytomas and glioblastomas. Now we're going to talk about MUTYH-associated polyposis, also known as MAP. What is the gene that's mutated in MAP? So the gene is the MUTYH gene, and I remember this as mutated YH. So it's MUT for mutated YH. What chromosome is this gene located on? It's located on chromosome 1. What does the MUTYH do? Is it a tumor suppressor gene or is it a oncogene? So it is a tumor suppressor gene. It's responsible for base excision repair. And what is the inheritance pattern for the MUTYH-associated polyposis syndrome? This one might have tripped you up because it's one of the only autosomally recessively inherited conditions. It may be the only one, actually. We'll see when we get to the end of this episode. So the MUTYH-associated polyposis is autosomally recessively inherited. And what conditions and cancers are these patients at increased risk of developing? So patients with MAP develop almost a attenuated form of FAP. So they get hundreds of colonic polyps and they're at increased risk of developing colorectal cancer. About 80% of patients will develop this by 70 years old. They're also at increased risk of gastrointestinal tumors and they develop polyps in the stomach and the small bowel as well, but not as commonly as in FAP. And they also may have an increased risk of thyroid cancer and abdominal desmoids as well, but it's not as well studied as FAP. 
let's talk about serrated polyposis syndrome. What is the gene that's mutated in serrated polyposis syndrome? This is a trick question because we don't actually know what the gene is in this condition. Therefore, the inheritance pattern is actually unknown and there's no chromosome to remember either. So that makes this one a little bit easier than the others. What is the diagnostic criteria for serrated polyposis syndrome? So the WHO Diagnostic Criteria for Serrated Polyposis Syndrome says patients need to have at least five histologically confirmed serrated polyps proximal to the sigmoid with at least two of these more than one centimetre or any number of serrated polyps proximal to the sigmoid if you have a first degree relative with serrated polyposis syndrome or more than 20 serrated polyps scattered throughout the colon at any time. So this is a cumulative number. And these patients have an increased risk of colorectal cancer, but it's not really known exactly what that risk is. It's anywhere between zero and 60%. So pretty poor data. What is the pathway by which these patients develop colorectal cancer? So these patients develop colorectal cancer through the serrated adenoma pathway. And so this involves an early mutation in the BRAF and then epigenetic silencing through hypermethylation of the MLH1 gene, which leads to accumulation of DNA damage and progression to the development of carcinoma. And the last one for colorectal cancers, let's talk about familial juvenile polyposis syndrome. What is the gene that's mutated in juvenile polyposis syndrome? So this can either be the SMAD4 gene or the BMPR1A gene. Which chromosome is the SMAD4 gene located on? It's located on chromosome 10Q. What type of gene is the SMAD4 gene? It's a tumor suppressor gene. And what is the inheritance pattern for this condition? You guessed it, 
it's back to being autosomally dominantly inherited. And what benign and malignant conditions are patients with juvenile polyposis syndrome at risk of developing? Patients with juvenile polyposis syndrome develop multiple hamartomatous benign polyps, often in the small bowel, but can be throughout the entire gastrointestinal tract. Unlike solitary juvenile polyps, these can have adenomatous characteristics and increase the risk of that patient developing carcinoma throughout their lifetime, with a lifetime risk of colorectal cancer about 40%. And they're also at increased risk of gastric, duodenal, and pancreatic cancers. Patients may also have other conditions associated with familial juvenile polyposis. So this includes hereditary hemorrhagic telangiectasia with bleeding from venous malformations. And about 20% will have other congenital abnormalities such as malrotation, hydrocephalus, cardiac issues, Meckles and mesenteric lymphangiomas. So let's move on to dysplastic nevus syndrome. Do you know what the old name was for dysplastic nevus syndrome? It's a bit of a mouthful, but it used to be called familial atypical multiple mole melanoma syndrome. So I'm glad they changed the name. Do you know which gene is mutated in dysplastic nevus syndrome? It is the CDKN2A gene. And do you know what the inheritance pattern is for this condition? As promised, it is autosomally dominantly inherited. What types of malignancies are patients with a CDKN2A mutation at increased risk of? patients, as the name suggests, develop multiple dysplastic nevi, and they may have over 50 present on their body. And this increases their risk of developing melanoma with up to a 70% incidence of melanoma in these patients. They also have an increased risk of developing pancreatic cancer. And so I always remember this as pretty much the two worst cancers you can get, melanoma and pancreatic cancer. And if you remember from the pancreatic cancer podcast, the development of pancreatic cancer is a series of genetic accumulations that usually progresses from a KRAS mutation to a CDKN2A mutation, which is what we have in this 
genetic condition, and then a P53 mutation leading to invasive cancer. So next up is Lee-Fraumeni syndrome. What is the gene that's mutated in Lee-Fraumeni syndrome? It is the TP53 gene. And what does the TP53 gene encode? It encodes a protein called P53. Which chromosome is the TP53 gene found on? It's found on chromosome 17. And what is the function of the TP53 gene? What sort of gene is it? It is a tumour suppressor gene. And what is the inheritance pattern of a TP53 mutation? It is autosomally dominantly inherited. And so what types of malignancies are patients with a P53 mutation at increased risk of developing? Unfortunately, these patients get a really wide variety of cancers that develop. And most of the cancers that we learn about when we're learning about the mutations that they get on their progression to becoming invasive cancer will have some form of P53 mutation involved. And so these people already have that mutation and therefore at an increased risk in general. So these patients have a high incidence of breast cancer, up to 85%. They also develop soft tissue sarcomas, approximately 50%, and osteosarcomas, about 10%. They're at increased risk of brain tumours, colorectal cancer with about a 25% incidence, gastric cancers with a 10% incidence, and adrenocortical cancers. They also have an increased risk of other types of tumours such as lung, prostate, renal, melanoma and pancreatic cancers and about 50% of patients will develop a second tumour after their first one within 10 years. So the next one we'll talk about is von Hippel-Lindau. So what type of mutation do you get in von Hippel-Lindau disease? So you get a mutation in the VHL gene. Which chromosome is the VHL gene located in? It's on chromosome 3. And what is the inheritance pattern of von Hippel-Lindau disease? 
it is autosomally dominantly inherited. And what conditions are patients with VHL at increased risk of developing? The ones that are relevant to us is that these patients develop pancreatic neuroendocrine tumours as well as pheochromocytomas, but they also get a really wide range of other conditions. So the VHL gene can affect the function of various things in the brain, spine, eyes, kidneys, pancreas, adrenals, inner ears, reproductive tract, liver and lung. I didn't learn this list for the exam. You can look it up if you like to, but the main thing that I learned was about pancreatic neuroendocrine tumours and pheochromocytomas. So that completes this surgical oncology episode on some of the genetic conditions that we need to learn for the exam. I hope you found this format useful. Please provide me some feedback. I'd love to know if you want more of this sort of thing or you'd rather me just focus on doing content-based episodes. But sometimes I felt like if I was just being given the information, I wasn't always taking it in. So maybe you'll find this useful. I hope everyone's preparations for the next sitting of the exam is going really well. And please remember to leave me a review. I absolutely love reading them. It keeps me motivated to keep the podcast going. Now I'm on the other side. And rate and subscribe to the podcast does make it easier for others to find. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying!